Welcome to Cathedral of the Rockies Amity Podcast. My name is Tyler, and I work here at Cathedral of the Rockies with Pastor Ben Kramer. Today we continue on our journey through the seven deadly sins with uh, today's featuring sloth. Sloth is something we might equate with laziness, but since this is a series about reimagining the seven deadly sins, you know Pastor Ben is bringing you another way to think about sloth. And I don't think he disappoints here. Um, does kind of a interesting move to flip it on its head. So hopefully this will bring you some new perspective on what it means to be slothful. Enjoy. As I uh, said at the beginning of service, you're going to hear in the sermon today that sloth is kind of defined as a lack of love. Uh, and we're going to ask ourselves, where are we not giving our full hearts? Maybe just a half-hearted effort uh, to the things of God and the things relating to our neighbors um, in, in this sermon today. My, my poor wife has to, she gets to hear all of my jokes that I'm going to put in my sermon all week long, so just pray for her. She has, (laughs) poor thing has to hear them all, but my my running joke this whole week was, you know, I have a sermon on sloth, the sin of sloth to write this week, but I never got around to it. (laughs) That was the same kind of laughter she gave me too. She's like, ha, ha, ha. But that's kind of what we think about when we think of the the sin of sloth. Also, I think of the fuzzy, cute animals as well, right? But when we think of the sin of sloth, we think of the lazy couch potato who never gets anything done, right? The layabout, or what Scripture calls the sluggard. Anyone using that word to describe laziness recently? Sluggard? What? Yeah, one guy. Okay, great. We have one person using the word sluggard. That's that's funny. Um, but we we do think of the lazy couch potato, and I... I don't know about you, but if I have a lazy Saturday, I love to just like watch a, a string of shows on, on TV, get my favorite snack food and sit on the couch. I don't know what that's like since having Foster, you know, Foster coming along has kind of disrupted those lazy Saturdays. Uh, but I, I, as, as much as anyone else, I love to have that lazy, relaxing time. So what then makes sloth a mortal sin? You know, we're calling these sins deadly. What about sloth is deadly? And what about sloth can really raise up to the rank of the destructive power like anger, greed, or lust? We can kind of get behind like, yes, those are destructive sins, but what about sloth can be destructive or deadly? And Pastor Dwayne told me that there was a magazine a while ago that did a whole cover story on the seven deadly sins. And it said something pretty funny about the sin of sloth at the beginning of its description. And it said, if the original sin of Adam and Eve had been sloth, we'd all still be in the Garden of Eden. (laughs) Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't worry, God, we're not going to do anything at all. (laughs) we'd still be sitting around in paradise. 
But I, I really like how Thomas Aquinas, one of the theologians of the early church, explains the sin of sloth. He said, to put it simply, that the sloth is a lack of love. It is a lack of love that can be expressed as laziness or even as restless busyness. It creates an aversion to the divine good in ourselves. And he goes on to say this, when sloth shapes our hearts, we resist our identity in Christ and his spirit's presence in us. And we balk at the, God's invitation to be imitators of God and to be transformed by God through the rest of our lives. The way that I've really come to think about the sin of sloth is that it is an aversion or an indifference to loving God, our neighbors, and ourselves with our whole hearts. It's really apathy. It's apathy to, to giving our full selves to the love of God, love of neighbor, and love of ourselves. We think of that primary commandment from Christ, right? What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the sin of sloth is really apathy towards that love, or maybe even just a half-hearted giving over to that love. But one of the things I've learned about sloth too is that it's also wayward busyness. Have any of you, like, I, I am a professional procrastinator sometimes. Anyone else, right? When there's something that you really, really have to do, but you do all of these other million other things instead of that one thing because you're just avoiding it or putting it off. Well, that's a good way to think about our kind of apathy or aversion to love sometimes with our whole hearts, our whole selves, where we give ourselves over to all of these other things that don't really matter in the long run when there's something we know we really should do for God, our neighbor, or ourselves, that we just keep, keep putting off and putting off and do something else instead. So it's not just apathy in the form of laziness. It's apathy in the form of activity that continues to put off the things we know that we should do. Interesting enough, the Latin word for sloth is acedia, which means turned away from God. And as we know in the New Testament, the Greek word metanoia for repentance means turning toward God. So one could make the argument that sloth is the opposite of repentance. Repentance is an active way of being in the world where we join God in God's work in the world. And sloth has a refusal to join that work of God in the world. Dor Dorothy L. Sayers has this incredible quote about sloth. She says, sloth is the sin that believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and remains alive only because there is nothing it would die for. We have known it far too well for many years, the only thing perhaps that we have not known about it is that it is a mortal sin. And my friends, I think what makes sloth a deadly sin is if one person is apathetic about something, they really start to harm themselves, right? 
The, the Proverbs especially, you have this, these phrases about the fool and the wise man, right? All these Proverbs all throughout uh, Scripture. And, and the fool doesn't, doesn't uh, sow or reap a harvest, right? And so they themselves start to decay and fall away, and they don't even care that they don't have anything to eat because they, they believe in nothing, they care about nothing. While the wise person gives over and invests in the future, invests in others, but when a whole community starts to be apathetic about others, that's when that deadly sin stops being individual and starts being communal too. Where we have apathy towards the needs of the poor. Where we have apathy towards the, the needs of those who are, are on the marginalized parts of society. Where we have apathy towards the needs of those who, who may not have the same access to resources as we do that's when that sin really starts to have systemic, deadly consequences, right? Apathy can be one of the deadliest things that happens in the world, especially in cultures like ours where we have enough. We have so much plenty that sometimes those of us who take that for granted take for granted the fact that others don't have enough to get by, even in our own backyards, even in our own neighborhoods, people don't have enough. Our food pantry is a perfect example of that. If you ever have a Monday free and would like to volunteer for our food pantry, uh, that was one of the more powerful moments for me where it was, you are in relationship with people who don't have enough to eat and provide for their family. And that's an indication for me to not take for granted what I have, but also to not be apathetic to meet the needs of others. I think an important part of understanding sloth is that it's rooted in something that we all really experience, hopelessness. Hopelessness is not a bad thing. But when hopelessness turns into nihilism, every, anyone heard that word nihilism before? It means that it's like Ecclesiastes. I know we all read Ecclesiastes for our daily devotions, right? Everything is meaningless. Nothing is new under the sun, right? It's a good book to read every once in a while because it's in the Bible and it's like, okay, I've had these thoughts before. The writer of Ecclesiastes has also thought that everything's meaningless. Okay, I'm in good company, right? But it's when we allow that hopelessness and despair to become to define who we are right? That there's nothing, there's no hope anymore. Everything is meaningless. So I'm just going to give up, right? And as one who has, has deeply struggled with depression, it's really important to note that sloth is not depression and depression is not sloth, right? Some, uh, many of the symptoms of depression is hopelessness, and a lack of energy, a lack of a desire to things that brought you joy before don't bring you joy anymore, that's not a sin of sloth. Symptoms of a mental illness are not a sin. You would not be called a sinner because you had the flu. Right? Oh, they're coughing, they're a sinner. If you have symptoms of depression, you're also not a sinner. You are sick, right? So it's important to distinguish that the sin of sloth is not a mental illness. It's not depression. What it is, is a willful act to allow hopelessness and apathy to define our identity, right? Where you said, there is, everything is meaningless, therefore I'm, I just give up. I'm only going to live for what I believe to be right and not care about anything else, right? Believe in nothing, care for nothing, love nothing, 
This is a willful act to care for nothing. And so it's really rooted in that hopelessness. And so what's such an important part to understand about the sin of sloth is to hold on to hope. And my friends, even as I read the Bible for a living, (laughs) and even, even with my job, it's hard sometimes to hold on to hope. I was talking with some friends this, this week on, on the Amity leadership team. And, you know, on top of kids losing SNAP benefits, on top of families in school who lose free lunches for their kids, these are literally families with kids that are suffering from these legislative changes. On top of that, the budget for childcare and, and so many other things for families in Idaho over $2 million, especially for a budget proposal to care for kids in abusive situations, were cut. That that hit me like a ton of bricks, and it made me feel really hopeless. How are we supposed to turn the tide of people in power not caring about kids? (laughs) Hungry kids! (laughs) Idaho has a surplus right now, and we are letting kids go hungry. Lord, have mercy. That is evil, my friends. Kids are going hungry in our own state, and we are literally taking money away from that endeavor. And people who have given their lives to child care and teaching, we are experiencing a real crisis right now in our state. And that can root a deep hopelessness to where it's like, I I don't even know what to do anymore. I'm just going to let go and give up. But when I get ready to come here on Sunday morning with you and see your faces, to see your dedication, to continue persevering in loving God, loving our neighbor, and seeking compassion for the most vulnerable, that gives me enough hope to keep going. And I pray that as we gather together, that little amount of hope, even if it's just a little bit, is enough for you to keep going too in your moments of sorrow and hopelessness so that we are not defined by hopelessness, but by hope. In my newsletter to the church this week, I invited you to word search the word laziness in the Bible. And if you did, you'd find the Proverbs and the Psalms are all full of that word. And it shows the difference between the fool and the wise that we just talked about and how sloth is so often a posture of foolishness, never really caring for anyone, even for themselves. But Jesus also talks about sloth in a couple of parables, like the parable of the talents, where there's this wealthy landowner who comes and gives talents to several of his his servants. One to five, and he goes and invests it and turns it into 10. Another two and turns it into four. But then there's that unfaithful servant who just goes and buries it in the backyard. And by the time the wealthy landowner returns, he's like, well, here's your gold back. And the wealthy landowner says, you did nothing with this? (laughs) You did nothing with what I gave you? You didn't even give it to the bank so that it could increase in interest? And the wealthy landowner didn't respond really kindly to that one. Um, And then there's the parable of the the bridesmaids, where there was five who were ready to receive the groom, and five bridesmaids had fallen asleep, and they didn't have enough lamp oil to keep things lit. And and back then, it was was a parable of when Jesus would return, and being ready for when Christ would return. Would Jesus come and find the disciples ready and prepared to receive Christ? 
or apathetic and falling asleep and not ready to receive Jesus when he came. James in the, in the Bible puts it really bluntly, and I really like the book of James. If you ever want a really blunt book of the Bible, read the book of James, who's Jesus' brother. And I, as a sibling with a brother, you know your brother better than other people know your brother, right? And so James really has a way with words to put it bluntly, and he says this, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. That's where we get the phrase, faith without works is dead, right? If faith were a rowboat, good works are the oars, right? You will still have faith, you're afloat, but without the oars, the direction that the good works help to manifest that faith in the world we have no direction and we're not really being productive in the world. Our faith might as well be dead. And so the sin of sloth is giving over to that apathy of just being aimless and being tossed and fro by, by the chaos of the world rather than putting our faith to work in the world around us. We also see in the Bible how sloth can be busyness that distracts us from things that should have our focus. I think of Martha who's sitting at the feet of Jesus with that expensive perfume, pouring it on his feet and just learning from the teacher. And she gets scolded because there's work to be done, right? But she is giving her time and her energy to really what matters, the love of Christ in that moment and learning at his feet. And then I think of Jesus rebuking Peter. It's the only time he calls a disciple Satan. He says, get thee behind me, Satan, to Peter. And he says, you have the, the ways of, of the world on your mind rather than the ways of God. That's wanting to be busy with the ways of the world rather than the ways of God in the world. And I, I think these are such important, those two sides to sloth are really important to, to keep in mind when we think about this. Sloth keeps us from responding in a way that honors God and our neighbors and ourselves. And sloth keeps us from sharing in the joy of God. Sloth is the failure to do the things that are necessary. It's the failure to act on the things we know that we should be doing. You know the saying, the road, is health, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. That's really the sin of sloth put in a nutshell. It's, it's intending to do something and never quite getting around to doing it. It's seeing the need and failing to act and expecting someone else to meet that need instead. It is faith without works. I, I want to end my sermon in kind of a different way today. I want to read a, a quote from Martin Luther King written in the Birmingham jail and then end with Matthew 25. So instead of starting with our scripture reading today, we're going to end with it today. And I want you to remember what what Martin Luther King was going through at the time. He was locked in prison for working and advocating for the least of these in the world. Those who did not have civil rights, voting rights, equal rights in the eyes of the law. And so he's writing this as a critique to the church. So as we listen to his words, and then we will end with Matthew 25 of Christ's words to the world, I want us to think about the ways in which the church is called to be in our world today. This is the words from Martin Luther King. There was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer 
for what they believed in. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disruptors of the peace and outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on, and in the conviction that they were a colony of heaven in the world, called to obey God rather than humanity. Small in number, they were big in commitment, and they were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. By their efforts and example, they brought an end to such ancient evils as child sacrifice and gladiatorial contests in Rome. Things are different now. So often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often it is an arch defender of the status quo, far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structures of the average community today is consoled by the church's silent and even vocal sanction of the things that are. Listen to the words of Christ from Matthew 25. As we, this is one of the most convicting parts of scripture for me. I grew up thinking about the end times a lot, right? Because I read, I read the Left Behind series right before bed. Don't recommend that, you know? Fills your mind with a lot of scary things. Uh, but I thought about Christ returning a lot with a lot of fear. And I thought that I was going to be judged on the, my beliefs if I had them all right. And in order, I thought I was going to be judged on my patriotism. I thought I was going to be, uh, be judged on my religious orthodoxy if I had, was in the right religion, the right Christian. But Jesus paints a picture of what the, how the world is going to be judged. We're going to be judged based on our compassion or lack thereof for the least among us. So listen to the words of the returning king from Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on the glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. And I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous didn't even know what they were doing. <laughs> they said, they will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did, you, when did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. 
I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. And I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. As we ponder on this sin of omission and what we put our hearts to, may we look at the ways in which we need to put our full hearts to the love of God, love of neighbor, and love of ourselves. Here are some action steps this week to continue thinking about how we are building up a boundary against this sort of apathy that the sin of sloth can bring about. The first action step is really hold on to hope. I, I, have, I have struggled with holding on to hope given the state of the world, but there is always a reason. The person closest to you, you can find a reason to hold on to hope. Don't let hopelessness define your perspective of the world. We need all that you can give, all the goodness that you can bring to the world. So hold on to hope. The second action step is hold on to joy. What things bring you joy? What things can you look around in your life and say, you know what, that really does fill me with joy because joy and hope really do play off of each other. When you have hope, it gives into joy. And when you have joy, it continues to fuel your hope. And lastly, uh, does all really mean all? We are in an interesting time as the Amity Campus, and this is kind of a collective question. Do, who are we looking for to be here at our church? And do we really mean with our whole hearts that all means all, even if it means us changing a little bit here and there, or a lot of bit? Because we will encounter people with different opinions, different ideas, different ways in which we should impact the community. Are we willing to enter into those conversations and even be changed by them? Because I need to hear those other voices, right? I can't just continue on with my own assumptions of the world as a white guy from Idaho. <laughs> I have to hear other people's perspectives so that I can be faithful to my neighbor right? So do we really mean all means all? Are we really willing to hear the ways in which God is calling us to change and transform ourselves in the world in this ongoing work of God? Focus on these questions throughout this week um, and continue to ponder what we've learned here today. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to, we'd very much appreciate it if you would subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it. Also, if you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at amity.campus at boisefumc.org. That email will be in the show notes. Finally, as a smaller congregation, our budget is pretty tight. If you'd like to help out and donate to us, there is a link to do so in the show notes. Of course, no pressure, only if you're feeling called to give. But more income does mean possibly more content and better quality of content, as well as supporting our current ministries and those we'd like to expand on. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day.